You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and we are continuing our process of going through the CPT, the Certified Personal Trainer course through NASM in this kind of guided study guide. Now, this isn't giving you the answers to everything, but it is a good overview of what's going to be happening for the examination, if you're studying for the examination. And then also for those of you who have already taken the exam, you're already an NASM CPT and part of the NASM family. I think this is great content, great information just to get a refresher on. So let's freshen it up a little bit. Going into this next segment, this is domain number two. And domain number two is about client relations and behavior coaching. This is section two, chapters three and four in your textbook. Uh, in domain one, we broke them down into three different parts. Domain two which is just this podcast. We're going to go through the entire everything in this podcast. So let's get into the behavior change portion of this. So here we go. Module or domain number two. We talk about some motivation, the science of psychology. And listen, y'all, this is, uh, I mean, you talk about the tip of the iceberg. It, it is so little on what really the psychology of things are, are, but even a little bit that's going to help us learn better to support our clients is going to be important. So motivation, it is the intensity and direction of someone's effort to participate in an activity or engage in a behavior. So a lot of times these motivations, people get fits of motivation and they go really big and they go really hard and then they get really sore and there's nothing that will completely snuff out your motivation like being sore, being hurt. So be careful when you're working with clients and new clients, you start to get them going. Let's start with some small goals, some little victories to build that motivation and to keep that drive going because everybody likes winning. So let's aim small and win big. But when it comes to motivation, really we kind of look at two different types of motivation. The types of motivation that drove people to the gym to work with you or just go to the gym and start working out and exercising but let's keep it CPT um, centric, right? So they're coming in to meet with you. Maybe they're you're at a corporate gym and you're doing a complimentary first session. Well, there are several different types of motivation, two that we'll look at specifically, extrinsic and intrinsic. Extrinsic motivation is when someone participates in an activity or behavior for some type of reward or recognition from other people. Hey, why'd you come into the gym today? My wife made me. Well, that's definitely extrinsic. That is, let me let me do this so my wife will get off my back about this or whatever the case may be. That's an extrinsic reward. Extrinsic rewards are not all bad. Extrinsic motivation is not all bad. I know sometimes I'll do things on my phone and I get badges. And those badges are extrinsic. That's a little reward for me. I like that. Or if you've ever done martial arts and you've gone up a belt, then that's an extrinsic reward and that can be really gratifying. But an intrinsic reward 
intrinsic being when people engage in an activity or behavior because they feel a sense of satisfaction, intrinsic reward is what you do, a feeling of self, a feeling of satisfaction within myself of doing things. So if you're trying to get those badges and they're not coming fast enough or that, that belt isn't coming fast enough, that extrinsic reward, then a lot of people just say, well, I'm not satisfied unless I'm going up a belt or I'm not satisfied unless I'm getting my badges for running. Um, then you're extrinsically motivated and your intrinsic motivation would be, I don't care if I get a badge or I get a belt. I really like this type of training and I'm gonna keep at it. I'm satisfied, I'm happy with it. And research does show that those intrinsic motivations, the things that give us a better sense of satisfaction within ourselves are stronger motivators for change, stronger motivators to take action. There are also differences in how some people are motivated, right? Younger adults tend to be motivated by competition. They like social groups. They like improving appearance, so aesthetics. But as individual age, those motivations can shift towards health-related variables. And, uh, uh, and let's be honest, it's not one or the other. It's not a zero-sum game between intrinsic and extrinsic. I've done things that, for health reasons, have become a lot more active and much more aware of my diet, and I got some extrinsic rewards for it, and I love it, right? Like, that's good for me. So it's not a zero-sum game. It's not either or. You can have you can be motivated through both. Well, let's talk about barriers to exercise. So there are things that get certainly stymie that motivation that we were just talking about. What are some of the barriers to exercise? And some big ones are things like time, setting unrealistic goals. So I don't have the time to do this. I don't have the time to show up. And you think about this. Just honestly think about the amount of time it takes for a client to travel to your gym, to change clothes, to get ready, to work out with you for an hour, and then to maybe shower, get changed, to go back to work or go back home. That's a one-hour workout. And then maybe a 30-minute commute and prep time, 30-minute commute prep time or cool down time, all that stuff. It could be two hours out of someone's day to work out for one hour with you. So to be empathetic to that, right? And there are time constraints. What can we do to better support that? Also setting these unrealistic goals. I've, I've had it before. I, I know that if you've trained for any time, then somebody has probably brought in a picture and they said, I want to look like this. And they give you the picture and you're like, that ain't you, right? Like that's just not going to happen. Or I want to do this, but this is the amount of time that I have to do it. This is my window I want to that achieve that by. And it's just not going to happen. So setting realistic goals. And there are outcome goals that you want to look at, but there are also process goals that you want to look at as well. So what's the outcome? I want to lose X amount of weight. Cool. What is the process in which to do that? And then make sure you're hitting the process goals because you're not going to get to the end result or the outcome without doing the process. There's people that lack social support. And that can be tricky. Sometimes we don't want to ask for social support because if I say I need your help, this is what I'm trying to do, and I end up failing, then you know I'm a failure. And so people look at that and they'll twist that in ways. No, get that social support. You're part of that for your clients. But... Try to see if you can encourage them to enlist others to support them in the process. Social physique anxiety. 
that can be a common barrier to exercise. Convenience. Convenience is a barrier to exercise. Ambivalence. Ambivalence is I know maybe I should, but I have some other things that I want to do. Um, and ambivalence really is a threat to prioritization. Ambivalence is I could go either way. Like a like a ambidextrous, either hand. Ambiturner, you can turn either way. All right, ambivalence, the caring can go either direction. Those are barriers to exercise. All right, well, there are types of social support. And we talked about social support. Get that social support. Well, there are four different types of social support that we can look at. One type of social support, well, let's just go through all of them. So types of social support, here they go. Instrumental, emotional, informational, and companionship. One more time, instrumental, emotional, informational, and companionship. So let's go with instrumental. Instrumental are actual actions that help another person engage in a behavior. Like what? Like you need help getting to the gym? Well, I'll come by and pick you up. All right, that's instrumental. Or I need somebody to watch my kids so I can go to the, the gym. All right, cool. Somebody watches your kids. They are instrumental in helping you take an action or a behavior. Well, there are other types of support that are equally as valuable in many instances, like emotional support, encouragement, and positive reinforcement, that in, emotional support, encouraging physical activity, providing positive feedback, listening, caring, being concerned about somebody else. That is part of the emotional feedback. And then informational. Informational is providing accurate and current info. I'm the boss, need the info. That was my best Dr. Evil and not great. But here we go. Informational is providing education on health and fitness, on current physical activity recommendations that you as a fitness professional should be aware of, uh, sedentary lifestyles and other poor health choices. I should be a source as a fitness professional, a CPT certified personal trainer to provide information and content and context around that information. So informational support. And then companionship. Companionship, be there with somebody and for somebody. Exercising with a friend or a partner, certainly somebody working with you as a personal trainer, accompanying somebody to exercise. Again, that type of social support that's needed. Group classes, another great example of social support. All right, what about group influences on exercise? Group influences on exercise could be family, parental influences, exercise leaders, the exercise group as an influence um, source, your community in general as, as an influence. So family, they're likely to remain strong throughout life within the family setting. Younger people are influenced more strongly by parents. As individuals age, they are influenced more by their significant others. Parental influence particularly important for children and adolescents adolescents that help to create habits that are long lasting exercise leaders play an overall role in the tone and the flow of your exercise experience and they can keep adherence to exercise uh, as a, at a high level it's also important as a cpt 
You are that person's exercise leader. Exercise group, the common, uh, the common to see the same faces in the class and have a positive effect on your exercise. Just being a part of a group, showing up. And it's funny because you can go in and you can see somebody in the group and you don't really know that person. And maybe you've never talked to them, but now in a different context, when you see them out, it's easier to go, oh, hey, what's going on? How you doing? How was class? And you're talking to them outside of class, even when you didn't talk to them, talk to them inside of class. Why? Because you're familiar with that person. And then talking to them in class, and that becomes a stronger bond. And then the community, active communities, such as sidewalks, biking paths, green spaces, they all have a positive effect on exercise and physical activity. And so taking advantage of these group influences on how we increase our physical activity, how we move, and our exercise compliance and adherence. There's psychological responses to exercise that also take place. Here are the four that we kind of look at here in this particular um, arena when we, in this podcast, we're going to look at psychological responses to exercise. Four major, here we go, promotes positive mood. Exercise psychologically promotes positive mood. It, number two, improves sleep. Number three, improves self-esteem and body image. Number four, reduces depression and anxiety. Which are the four major ones, the psychological responses to exercise that we'll talk about. There are other responses, and there's content and subtext that goes along with all of these. And the research around these four things, promoting a positive mood, mood improving sleep, improving self-esteem and body image, and reducing depression and anxiety, there are a lot there's a lot of research around these things. We just, the highlight reel of what exercise can do for you psychologically. All right. Client expectations of a CPT. Listen, you've got very little time to make a good first impression, right? You as a personal trainer, you got about 20 seconds to make a good first impression. So make a good first impression. It's crucial for a client to see fitness professionals as both an ally and an authority at the gym. Certified personal trainers should have a positive attitude. You gotta have strong communication skills. And here's the other one, very important, strong listening skills. Because as fitness professionals, sometimes we like to talk, but it is imperative that we love to listen. Know where somebody is coming from so you have a better idea of not just where they can go, but how you can guide them to do so. I'm gonna help clients feel confident and competent. And we need to preserve their autonomy to do exercise that they enjoy. And don't just make them do exercises that they don't enjoy. And sometimes they're not gonna enjoy exercises, but get their feedback on it. I had a client that it's just a warm up exercise that I do regularly. And he came in one day and he goes, I just want you to know, I hate, I hate this warm up that we do. I was like, Wait, what? I've been training him for years. It's not always the same warm up, but this particular one that I had been scheduling for him, he hated it. So what I do, removed it. I said, oh my goodness, speak up earlier. I can, I can always find something else to do. Why? Because I'm the professional. 
I can figure it out. All right, moving on. Qualities that we should be exhibiting as fitness professionals. Look professional, look neat, look clean, be appropriately dressed. I'm not telling you how to dress. I'm not telling you how to look, but however style you look, do it neatly and cleanly. Be appropriately dressed for the environment that you're in and the vibe of the environment that's there. Also, take some time to build a trusting relationship with new clients. Build that rapport with your clients. Because uh, the famous saying, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care, be there for that. Ensure that your client feels heard and that they feel understood. Also, uh, number one priority, ensure the client safety. Make sure the client is safe when they're uh, under your supervision while they're exercising with you. Safety, safety, safety. Make sure that's there. And then finally, build community by making clients exercise routine a collaborative effort. Now, and you've heard me say this before on the podcast. I used to abhor when clients would come in and the trainers say, what do you want to do today? And the clients go, oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. And the reason I didn't like that is because it was very clear to me in many of these instances that the trainer did not have a plan, did not have a program, did not uh, follow a systematic progression. They just said, what do you want to do? And that's not a program. That's just exercise. But the other thing, too, that's important, what do you want to do today, isn't let me design my program by you telling me what you want to do, but I have a program for you. Why don't you tell me what you would like to add into the program or what you would like to focus on as exercises that you like, and then I'll make sure I integrate that. You're a part of this. It's not just me dictating things. You are a part of the process. All right, so now we're going to go into something called the stages of change model. It's also known as the trans-theoretical model of behavior change by Prochaska and DiClemente, and it, it involves the process and progression through a series of stages. These stages are pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and maintenance. One more time, stages of change model, pre-contemplation. Contemplation, preparation, action, and maintenance. So let's talk about the pre-contemplation phase. Pre-contemplation phase says that people that are in this, let me say, pre-contemplation phase, people in this stage have no intention of changing. They're not even contemplating it. They ain't even thinking about it. They do not exercise. They do not intend to start in the next six months. The best strategy with this pre-contemplation is education. And what this means is for you as a fitness professional, maybe you're working in the gym and you start talking to somebody that's in, and it's not specifically about exercise, but maybe working with a personal trainer. And they're in the pre-contemplation phase. It is not even in their mind. And you walk up and you start trying to talk fitness and working with me. That person would be happier to poke you in the eye than to even think about working with you. They are not into it. You are barking up the wrong tree. So what should you do? Build rapport. I don't think anybody should just walk up to somebody and start trying to pitch personal training. I think it's vitally important that you get to know somebody first 
meet them at the gym, talk to them, offer them some water, go and bring them a towel, get to know their name. And then maybe, maybe as you educate them, not just in fitness and exercise, but in who you are, and they can build some confidence around you and your presence and your abilities. And then maybe they'll start moving to the next stage, stage two, contemplation. Contemplation is where people are thinking about exercising, but it's they're not there yet. They just think about it, contemplating it. They're thinking about becoming more active within the next six months. So in the next six months, yeah, 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 I think about it. This is something I'm, I'm thinking about doing, but they're not ready to jump yet because contemplators are thinking about becoming more active. Personal trainers can have a great deal of influence on contemplators, right? Whether or not they choose to exercise is not important, but your influence on them, your support, your presence can be helpful. But again, don't get pushy. Don't get pushy. Pre-contemplation, contemplation, or even the next phase, pushy trainers, you better watch out. You're going to get people away from you. No, you don't be pushy and draw people in. Pushy within its name kind of entails a way. How do you pull people in? You be interested in them, not in you and what you can do and la, la, la. You be interested in them. Phase three, the preparation phase. People in this stage, uh, they do exercise occasionally, but they're planning to begin exercising regularly within the next month. They are believers in the health benefits of exercise. People in this, this phase, this preparation phase, may have unrealistic expectations for the change they hope to achieve, which often leads to high risk of disappointment and early dropout. So we use this phrase, managing expectations. Some people think, man, I, um, uh, if I start working out, my body, everything's going to change. Just like that. And, and it doesn't. We need to manage those expectations. And we have, again, those outcomes and the processes. Focus on the process. Focus on the journey. Know the destination is there. Something to aim for, but focus on the journey. And then there's the action phase. The action phase uh, is when people are doing it. They're active. They've started exercising. They haven't yet maintained their behavior for six months, but they are in the process. Some of the best strategies for helping people in this action stage are simply to continue to provide them with education because it will strengthen their belief and the benefits of exercise. And we want to support that as best as we can. And then the stage five maintenance. People in the maintenance phase have maintained this workout regimen they've been planning on for six months or more. And even though they formed a change in their behavior, exercise and the routines that they do, they still can be tempted to return to the old habits of less exercise. So here is your time to really support them in their process. This is where trainers come in very, very handy to the already exercising population. Uh, many times the people we work with, and we've worked with the people for years, they don't need me anymore to teach them exercise necessarily. They want me there so that they maintain the exercise they're doing. All right. Let's talk about the importance of communication and effective communication skills. Well, we need to create a safe environment for our communication. 
try to clear away any of the distractions. It's easy to become distracted. Phones, maybe put them away, right? Find a place where you can get somebody, you can communicate with them and exercise with them. Ask questions. Observe their nonverbal cues, their feedback. Sometimes they're going to say things, but you look at their face and their face says something different. So focus on that effective communication and then provide empathy. Try to understand where somebody is coming from. Try to walk in their moccasins. Try to walk in their shoes and see how that feels. Obviously, this is uh, not a literal. We want to be where they are, put ourselves where they are and try to understand from there. I had a, an, a at one of my gyms, there's a machine called a ladder mill. And that ladder mill was a beast. It was a beast. And there was a very fit trainer working with a very obese client. And she had her go up onto this ladder mill and do these exercises. And all of us who had done the ladder mill training, we looked and we were like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And what she's doing. And she would week after week would see her. And then one day she got there early. The trainer got there early without the, the client. And the trainer gets onto the ladder mill and she starts doing it. Not even close to the amount of time. Just started doing it for a little bit. She got down from that ladder. She turned to me and goes, ooh. I'm going to need to apologize. So you provide some empathy. Try to figure out where your clients are coming from, not just for emotional support, but also what their capabilities are. All right. How can we build rapport? Rapport, you can build it by asking questions. Ask your clients questions. Don't feel like you need to dictate to your clients all the time on what they should be doing or telling them how smart you are in the process, ask them questions and learn about them. The best way for us to communicate is to try to communicate, to try to get somebody else to communicate with us. So ask questions. And when they talk, you wanna reflect, right? You wanna reflect on that similar look, summarizing as they speak, you want to be able to speak that back to them so that the message is clear. Because sometimes what people say and how we hear it, what they say, and how we interpret it may not be the same. So summarizing what they're saying and bringing that back to them can be very helpful in the process of building rapport. Affirming, being there, yes, I'm with you, I agree, yeah. Affirming what should be affirmed, and then ask permission. And by ask permission, in part, we're talking about asking permission to provide feedback. So instead of just telling them, what you've got, when you say, is it okay? Thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate you. Uh, whatever vulnerabilities that you may have shared with me, the things that you're looking to do. Can I ask, I'm going to ask permission. Is it okay if I provide some feedback on some of the things that you mentioned to me? Well, most likely you didn't have to ask. You just talk. That's what conversations are. But asking permission is a vital, it's a, it's a strong key in building rapport with somebody. So ask questions, reflecting, summarizing, affirming, and asking permission. All right, so as we get into the last five slides that we're going through here, this is motivational interviewing. And motivational interviewing has provided, uh, proven to be very beneficial in uh, being client-centered. 
And it is a directive method for enhancing intrinsic motivation. And that's really key, as we've talked about before, building that intrinsic motivation in people. So let's get into the process of how we can build intrinsic motivation by applying these motivational interviewing strategies. The first is uh, self-discrepancy. Self-discrepancy is an internal conflict that occurs when somebody compares their actual self with their ideal self. That's called self-discrepancy. Change talk. Change talk is talk that reflects movement of the person towards a behavior change. Sometimes referred to as a growth mindset, but growth mindset and change talk. Mindset, growth mindset is the mindset. Change talk is speaking that out loud. Move person towards behavior change. The positive change that we're looking to get. Then there's sustained talk, which is talk that represents and predicts movement away from that change. Sometimes referred to as a fixed mindset. I don't think I can. I'm not able to. What I can't do. It's fixed mindset and change uh, and sustained talk is speaking that, representing things that you can't make that behavior change happen. But the growth mindset and that change talk Focusing, do what you can, not what you can't. Change talk versus sustained talk. Uh, avoid arguments. Avoid arguments. Yeah, but your client's going to tell you something, and you look, you hear that, and you go, "That's a, that's not true." Let me, let me straighten you out. Avoid any arguments. Avoid the arguments. If your goal is to be right, or is your goal to train somebody and help, because. When you're just working with people, it is not the right time to tell them how wrong they are on things. Avoid arguments and guide in the ways that you feel confident that you can guide it away from, maybe if they keep saying things and it doesn't make sense, that's not something that is scientifically accurate or that you're able to do. Avoid any arguments surrounding that. And then there's a an interesting thing where we talk about... Um, on a scale of one to 10, right? You've got this ruler on a scale of one to 10. You see that linear graph out. And we wanna know about three things, importance, confidence, and readiness. Motivational interviewing, let's talk about importance, confidence, and readiness. Here we go, on a scale of one to 10, how important do you feel making these changes are or making this individual change is? On a scale of one to 10. How important do you feel making this change is? On a scale of one to 10, how confident are you that you can make this change happen? On a scale of one to 10, how ready are you to make this change happen today? Starting now. Oh, it's not January 1st yet, so I'm not quite ready to do it yet. But, but on the 1st, on January 1st, I'll, yeah, man, for sure, January 1st, I'll be good at it. <laughs> so on a scale of 1 to 10, and one of the interesting techniques in motivational interviewing is, let's say, on a scale of 1 to 10 on any one of these, they say uh, 3. And instead of saying, why so low? Why did you give yourself a low number like a 3? Ask the question, why did you rank it so high? Why did you rank 3 so high? And when they tell you why they can do it at a three, it is far more powerful to facilitate change 
then why not? Because when you get to the why nots, they start talking about reasons they can't, not reasons they can. So get them talking about why they can do. All right, SMART goals. You've probably heard about it, but it's almost so common to hear people talk about SMART goals that we don't think that it's as applicable, right? But SMART goals are like squats. They are like an anchor of your workout. They this is what what things should be surrounding around in many instances. So let's look or or core stabilization, right? Like this is the center of how we design our goals. Smart goals. S M A R T. S is for specific. Make your goals specific. This is what I want. Make it measurable, right? This is. Um, the amount of pounds that I want to be able to lift. Is that attainable? A, for attainable? Yeah, and you're working with a fitness professional to identify if this is an attainable goal, and you as a fitness professional, especially as you progress and grow, have a better idea of what is attainable for different people. Is it realistic? You're like, that don't even make sense, right? Is it realistic? Does it fit within what you're trying to do? And then T for time bound. Is it timely? Right? I got to put a time on it. By when? When do we want to have this done? And sometimes when we focus on the time, we got to shorten the time and we have to change our SMART goals to fit within a shorter time frame. And we have different types of goals. We have short-term goals and long-term goals but we want to be specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely on all of our goal setting. Those are our SMART goals. Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. Other types of goals, those short-term goals and long-term goals, those are important. Lifetime goals. What do you want out of your life? What are your lifetime goals? And then we talked about earlier, what are the process goals and the outcome goals? Process goals. What are the steps along the journey? Outcome, what's the destination we're trying to get to? Those are some of our other types of goals. All right, let's look at just a few more. We got two more slides and then we're wrapping up this uh, podcast. So thanks for sticking around with me as we are going to come to an end on the second domain. Cognitive strategies. There are three cognitive strategies that we're going to look at. There's positive self-talk, imagery, and psyching up. All right, so here we go. These are used to change a client's thoughts and attitudes towards exercise and physical activity by doing this. One, positive talk. It is a form of encouraging and motivating internal dialogue that increases self-efficacy. I to talk to myself in a positive way, and I can increase my efficacy, my self-efficacy. I start tweaking that internal dialogue into, yes, you can. Imagery. Imagine a situation and an experience that supports or enhances exercise participation. Imagery is used a lot in cognitive strategies. There was a, a, a very interesting study that was done um, at Harvard, and there was the basketball team, and they had several groups practice shooting free throws, and they had the other group practice just visualizing the free throws. And when they came back and this randomized result and they came back and they had them shoot, the imagery people did better than the people who actually shot 
um, and did the practice. So imagining a situation and experience can enhance your abilities, but enhancing your participation for our fitness goals. And then psyching yourself up, feel excited, positive, be engaged, be energetic before you exercise. Just psych yourself up. All right. Last one here. We're going to talk about the initial session. And I know just recently I've done a podcast on the initial session. But these four things that I want to review. During the initial session, this is the CPT7 content. We want to do, first thing, is discuss some health concerns. So discussing health concerns is going to be important for us. We work with our clients so that we can understand their health concerns, what their limitations are, if they have injuries or if they have um, their current health status, where are they? That's crucial for us in planning exercise. So discussing health concerns. Number two, clarify fitness goals. You got to clarify those goals. Goals and doing this, it's... We want to energize people's performance by motivating them to exert effort. Things that we they may not like doing, and we want them to exert that effort, and they, we want them to be persistent and do it over time. So we want to direct attention to the relevant behaviors by informing them that they can achieve their goals. So clarify those fitness goals. Review previous exercise experience. What somebody's had experience in in the past plays an integral role in how they're going to experience exercise now. Why? Had a bad exercise experience? Well, they probably don't have a much better opinion of it right now. Understand what those bad experiences were and see if you can support them in the process and provide a different experience. But you don't know if it's a different experience. You could be providing the same bad experience unintentionally because you don't know what they consider to be a bad experience for them. So review that. Also, there are things that maybe they love doing. Well, maybe I want to prioritize that, especially early on, to help build some rapport. So let's do that. And then finally, finalize your program. I think you get a good sense of who the client is, understanding their subjective health concerns, what their goals are, what their past exercise experience is. You as a CPT, certified for personal trainer, this fitness professional, you need to assess the client's fitness to determine an exercise starting point. So assess their fitness, figure out where they are, and all of these assessments, this, this information that I'm trying to get from them from talking with them, and then the information I want to get from them through the assessment process, and then put a program together for them. Put it together, give them something to focus on and to look forward to. Very good. Y'all, thank you so much for taking some time to, to listen to the review. So this is a review of Domain 2, Client Relations and Behavioral Coaching. In this, you've got 15% of your exam will be coming from this content. This is section two, chapters three and four in your CPT7 textbook. You got questions, reach out to me, rick.richie, R-I-C-H-E-Y at nasm.org, or you hit me up on Instagram at dr.rickrichie.
go to the podcast, uh, wh whatever platform that you listen to, like and subscribe and share with other fitness professionals. Uh, at this point, especially if you know that they're interested in taking or are currently taking, here we are with a pre-contemplation, contemplation, action phase, is that what's going on? Preparation, action, are they doing it right now? So if you think this can be helpful to them, then we would appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.